Students, welcome. We have officially made it through the first week of school. Freshmen, you have probably discovered that school is a lot like an extended version of summer camp, except with homework. Seniors, we are now 230 days away from graduation. Sophomores and juniors, you now know what it feels like to be a middle child. <laughs> you are loved, just not quite as important as the youngest and the oldest. <laughs> well, let us begin with prayer. God, you are our joy and our strength. We thank you for allowing us to gather as a community of believers. But some of us today come to you with heavy hearts as we remember the events that occurred 12 years ago today. Help us to remember those who were lost or were affected, but continually, continually remind us that our hope is found in you. Teach us to love like you and to see like you. Amen. The scripture for today's chapel is from 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3, 13. This book is an epistle or a letter written to the people of Thessalonica from the Apostle Paul. Thessalonica is a city located in modern-day Greece. The city became a part of the Roman Empire in 167 BC and operated as a major port city. The people of Thessalonica varied in ethnicity, religious affiliation, and socioeconomic status. But one thing they had in common was their pride in being Roman. They willingly belonged to the empire, devoting their lives and even placing their future in the emperor. The people benefited from being Roman. They were offered hope, freedom, and protection. For this very reason, Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. As he moved westward across the Roman Empire, Paul sought to convert Gentiles into believers. When he arrived in Thessalonica, between the times of 41 and 54 AD, this was his very goal. And he was successful. God used Paul to call many to him. But Paul was not ignorant. He knew these people had given up on their luxuries of being Roman citizens when they chose to put their faith in Christ's coming. This group of believers eventually turned into a church, but Paul moved on and found himself in, himself in Corinth. While in Corinth, Paul longed to be with the church he started in Thessalonica, even feared that they would turn back to their false idols. Since he could not return to them, Paul sent Timothy, and then this letter. The, the letter starts, Paul, Silvinus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 2 and 3 say, We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are proud of the church in Thessalonica and are really encouraged by the faith they're demonstrating daily. Paul says that they are constantly remembering and thanking God for their work of faith, labor of love, and constant hope in Christ. There's two main points I took away from this when I prayed and reflected on it. First, this shows me that we need to be in constant prayer for each other, encouraging each other and lifting one another up in prayer. We're a team, a body in Christ. Now, I haven't been on a legitimate sports team since, like, high school, but the greatest part for me was the sense of camaraderie. My teammates had my back, and I had theirs. If I was struggling, they didn't hesitate to pick up the slack, because that's what a team does. That's what we as believers need to do. We need to be filled with love for one another. If you're struggling with something, even as simple as focusing on your studies, ask someone for help. There's hundreds of people on this campus who would love to encourage you and help you out. 
If you're having family issues, we have prayer warriors throughout our community who would love to sit down and pray with you and for you. If one of your classmates is down, or you see someone on your floor isn't doing so hot, show them Christ's love through prayer and encouragement. Listen, I know that the I'll pray for you gets dropped on the daily, and sometimes it feels like people are only saying that because they don't have any real words of comfort to say. But I challenge you to actually do it. I challenge myself to do it. Let's show our love for each other in this way. Let's be a team united by prayer and encouragement. Second, this passage shows what a godly ENC community needs to embody. Work of faith, labor of love, and committed hope in Christ. I'm going to focus on the labor of love that Paul mentions. Just like any other commitment in life, our faith isn't always going to be what we feel like doing. It's a grind. It takes work. Paul points out that the church in Thessalonica demonstrates a labor of love. One of my favorite songs growing up was a song called Love is a Verb by DC Talk. (laughs) The chorus said that love is intentional, and it's not to be taken lightly. I couldn't agree more with the message of the song. We need to choose to put the effort in to love our brothers and sisters in Christ just as Jesus would, even when we really don't want to. Guys, laboring in love is unnatural, and quite frankly, it's uncomfortable. It's going out of your way to help that girl who really grinds her gears. It's forgiving the guy who intentionally hurt you or your friend for no apparent reason. But if we want to be a community that oozes faith and love, we got to do it, myself included. Later in verse 4, Paul says that the church is a chosen people. This is us, ENC. God has chosen us to be a beacon in the dark, but it all starts internally. Let's be a team, let's love each other, and let's shine. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all, all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. In this passage, uh, Paul is talking about two things, at least that I got out of it, and it was imitation and receiving. Imitation. We sometimes caution people that it's dangerous to imitate uh, anyone but Christ. But in reality, we all need role models or spiritual mentors. Um, as I grew up, through my teenage years, I had a spiritual mentor who is still my spiritual mentor today. And uh, he, he's the person I always looked up to. He was the person that uh, would help me through my tough times. He's the person I went to when I had questions about my faith, when I had questions about um, just things I was wondering about. And as I looked at him when... Uh, he was a youth pastor. And as I looked at him and stuff, I always wondered. I'm like, I want to be like him. I, I want to imitate him, I guess you would say. Um, because it was not him that I, was, I really liked. It was the idea that Christ was being shown through him. Um, and so for, for us, we need people. We need to be, uh, we need people at times of guidance and of counsel and in times of need. We need to help each other. And imitation, it's not a bad thing at all. If we strive to be like Christ and strive to do, live the way he wants us to live, it should be all right for people to imitate us because we're imitating the Lord Christ. The second point that Paul is talking about is receiving. Receiving the word with joy. Uh, that comes from the Holy Spirit. I know many of us have had those times where you hear, what would Jesus do? Um, I know I hear it sometimes a lot. And 
it's true. It's what would Jesus do at this moment? Would the decision I'm about to make be something Jesus would do um, if you were here with me? And sometimes it's tough. I know I've had tough times where I would need, I would hear something and it would challenge me. And I'm like, I just don't want to do that. And I have to be reminded that I have to do things joyfully. Um, with Christ, we should be happy to receive what we're getting. He's blessed us so much. He died on the cross for us. To the point where if we're receiving the word joyfully and following it out as we should throughout our life, then it goes right back to imitation. People can imitate how we're living um, and be examples of Christ. I know I've heard people say sometimes where you go to different places where Christ is not present and they say there's something different about you. There's something that I haven't seen from others and it's the love of Christ. So in conclusion, we need to receive the Holy Spirit with uh, gladness and with joy. And also we need to strive to imitate Jesus and let others imitate us but we need to be careful that we don't guide the people imitating us the wrong way. Thank you. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we have among you, and how you turn to God from idols, to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescued us from the wrath that, wrath that is coming. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, Even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came up with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. I just want to read that verse one more time. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts. As you know, and as our God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery, nor a pretext from greed. Nor do we seek praise from mortals, from whether, whether from you or from others. So let's think about this in context. Paul is writing this letter to the people of Thessalonica, who have previously um, worshipped idols and turned away from that. And they're now seeking God out in their lifestyle. And Paul loves these people, and he wants these people to fully rely on God, and then just see him as an authority figure. In chapter 2, Paul's telling these people that he's been given this authority. He's been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel. But he speaks not to please mortals, and the mortals in this sense are the people of Thessalonica, but rather to please God who tests our hearts. The letter tells us that as Christians, we should speak words that are pleasing to God rather than pleasing to the people we encounter. So we need to speak words that are pleasing to God and not to the people that are around us. Paul also says that we should not seek praise from mortals, and we should do the same. We should not be concerned with pleasing anyone for our own selfish reasons. Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Do nothing out of selfish or vain conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not into your own interests, but into the interests of others. 
We're in a community where we have the freedom to worship and love each other. Why shouldn't we utilize this place we've been given and support each other? Let the words that we say be genuine and loving towards the people we're around. God is our divine power, and ultimately we need to do things to glorify him first. This past summer, I had the opportunity to be a part of a summer ministry team um, leading worship around different churches and campus um, camps around the eastern region. As I was preparing myself for this summer, God really laid it on my heart that I was leading worship for the people that I was with to be able to connect with God through song. I'm not performing for the people that I'm with. It was really humbling to know that while I'm standing in front of the church singing, it's really an act of God. It's not an act of my own. And it didn't matter what notes I was hitting or the lyrics that I continually got wrong because it was for the people that I was singing with so that they could connect with God, not for me to please them by my actions. We're not put on this campus to please the people we encounter for our own selfish reasons. We're put here to please God with our words, our thoughts, our actions, and every essence of everything we do. It needs to be for God. At the end of Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, it tells us that we need to test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. It can be so easy for us to try and please the people we're around through the words we say or the things we do, but as Christians, we need to remember that this isn't always the desires of God. We should be more focused on doing his will. We need to abstain from every form of evil. As a Christian community, are we being lured away from God through the things that we say? Are we being entertained by this sin to please people? Before you say and do anything, ask yourself, is this pleasing to God? Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. This verse is a call to not just speak the gospel, but to live it out. That concept can be said a number of ways. Talk the talk and walk the walk. Lead by example. Actions speak louder than words. And the Christian version, you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. To me, that always meant that I needed to be a better person. I needed to be more righteous, and I had to have it all together all the time. My life needed to be an example for others to look at. I had to avoid hypocrisy, and I wanted so badly to be someone that others could look up to. After all, we should be striving to live in a way that glorifies Christ, as you just heard from my friends. But even as we do those good things and try to set an example, we have to be wary of our intentions and how we live when we're in community. We must always ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? The problem with my pursuit of perfection is that it puts me in a greater place than I belong. It puts more weight and more worth on what I do than one, sorry, it puts more weight and more worth on what I do than on what Christ already did for me. This verse tells us to give our very selves. We cannot merely say, I love you, and not show God's love. The Lord has already set the example of what love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God truly gave everything. Christ humbled himself and came down to our level and sacrificed his life for the sake of everyone. What I'm learning is that it is not just about what I do, but what I do for others. Exemplifying Christ's love is not done by achieving more or appearing to have it all together. It's done by being humble and giving of ourselves by meeting the needs of those around us. It is entering into the brokenness in our world and letting Christ's light and love shine through us. The whole idea of infuse is that it's not anything about what we do, 
but what we allow him to do in and through us. We must allow God to work in our lives in such a way that his love and his grace are shared with everyone around us. By being a part of the ENC community that I've come to love so much, this has helped teach me this, that I don't have it all together. I am broken and I am far from perfect. I need God's grace every day to help me share his gospel and to share of myself with each of you. I challenge and encourage you to join me in that journey so that his love can overflow into the lives of everyone here in this community, in this city, and in our world. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We work night and day so that we, may not, we might not burden any of you while we proclaim, the, proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was, to, conduct was toward you believers. As you know, we dealt with each, other, each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory. We also constantly give thanks to God for this. That when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also a work in you, believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displeased God and and opposed everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Thus, they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath was, has overtaken them at last. As for us, brothers and sisters, when, for a short time, we were made orphans by being separated from you, in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, wanted to again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? Yes, you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. Um, In this second chapter of his epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul is conveying to the young church that they, in this present moment, are the realization of his joy. The family, recognized by their common thread in Christ, is where his hope, his glory, and his crown of boasting can be found. It is not the fulfillment of his joy, yet he rejoices in it in the present, waiting with hopeful expectation for Jesus and the perfection and attainment of the hope to which he clings. I had an awesome summer. Um, I spent about two months doing missions work in three different African countries, Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda. I was with a group of college-age strangers who seemed to turn into a second family overnight, And I learned so much from God in those weeks, but one of the constant lessons taught to me by way of his spirit was the meaning and purpose behind truly emulating the body of Christ. You see, this second family I was was privileged to partake in was the most tangible example of a community fixated on Jesus that I've ever encountered. And the measure of joy it brought to my experience just can't be put into words. My teammates, they, they genuinely preferred others over themselves. And not just occasionally, but all the time. Constantly dying to their needs and putting others on a pedestal, no matter the circumstances, paved the way for loving one another extraordinarily. I can say with complete certainty that all 11 of them never thought of themselves as anything other than a servant of Christ. To love and exhibit a life such as his. And simultaneously, affirmation was sought by all at the foot of the cross, not with one another. 
And it brought about mind-blowing ministry as we witnessed the kingdom of God being poured out among our group and the people we were trying to love. Witnessing and partaking of it was my hope each and every day. It was something I rejoiced in constantly, for it was a taste, just a hint, of what he is preparing for us. You see, the glory and joy that Paul is talking about, it's prompted by what Jesus holds for us as his children. It simply just can't be realized in its entirety now. In fact, our future crown of boasting as his co-heirs can't even be imagined without his touch. And yet, this summer I was afforded just a whiff of it, blessed to encounter a small sample, a tiny taste of what he holds for you and I. We don't know the splendor and the beauty of all that lies ahead for those who call on the name of Christ and, and those who run after him, but right now, today, we have our communal presence as a student body and an institution under the name above all names. And this is what God has given us in the present. If we truly do as he commands, allowing Christ in us to love one another, our hope will become tangible and simultaneously bear witness to the intangible hope to come. In other words, if we actively seek ways in which we can bestow the agape of Jesus on those in our community, our peers, we will see the wonders he longs to impart that will be imparted in the future. So my glory and joy, often it is distracted, but I strive for it to be found in the community realized here with you. I want my glory to be found in the classroom next to people earnestly seeking the will of God above all else. I want my joy to be found in watching you love one another the way Jesus did, as I try to do the same. For our crown of boasting before his return is recognized by the hints of the Spirit seen in the dorm hallways, afternoon labs, and faculty meetings. So love one another that joy may increase. Serve others, prioritizing them above yourself, that God would meet us in a greater capacity here at ENC. The kingdom of God sustained by you on this campus is our glory and joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker for God, in proclaiming the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith, so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. Indeed, you yourself know that this is what we are destined for. In fact, we were with you. We told you beforehand that we were to suffer, suffer persecution, so it turned out, as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor had been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. He has told us also that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, during all our distress and persecution, we have been encouraged about, about you through your faith. For we now live if you continue to stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see, your, see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. So let's recap. Joel called us to be a community that oozes faith and love. Stephen explained that we should be imitators of Christ. Leanne reminded us to be humble towards one another. Ryan challenged us to join together as a community of love. And Weston encouraged us 
to bestow the agape of Jesus on our peers. All of these points have a few commonalities. Number one, they're all biblical. Most of these thoughts were taken from the first three chapters of Thessalonians, but I'm pretty sure that you could find all of these themes throughout the Bible. Secondly, they all involve community. Not just the community at 23 East Elm Avenue, but the community of Quincy, the New England region, and even the international community. Lastly, they each have a common denominator, love. Without the love of Christ, we couldn't be faithful, we couldn't be humble, we couldn't be a true community, and we certainly couldn't imitate Jesus. Our theme verse for this year is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 11 through 13. It reads, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of Lord Jesus with all his saints. In 50 AD, this was a call from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. This year, 2013, this is a call for ENC. For this year, we've selected an even more direct focus than those three verses in Thessalonians. One version in verse 13 says, May he so strengthen your hearts in holiness. Another states, he will make your hearts pure and innocent. The translations don't seem quite different, but after reading multiple versions, we settled on the paraphrase from the message. It says, May God our Father himself and our Master Jesus clear the road to you, and may the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes on over everyone around you, just as it does from us to you. May you be infused with strength and purity, filled with confidence in the presence of God our Father when our Master Jesus arrives with all his followers. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine taking an empty cup and placing it under running water. If you never turned the faucet off, what would happen? Obviously, the water would keep coming and coming. It would be overflowing and it would probably splash water everywhere. You guys can open your eyes now. That's the picture we get from the message. Jesus is pouring out his love on us, so much so that it splashes onto everyone around, not just the person you're sitting next to. Essentially, God is calling us to be mission-minded. If we work together as a community of love, devoted to others, it will be impossible to turn off the faucet. Then Paul prays that God would infuse the Thessalonians with strength and purity. Infuse is a pretty descriptive verb. According to thesars.com, let's use the internet for everything now, Some synonyms of infuse can include impart, inspire, permeate, saturate, and plant. That is what Jesus does for us. He imparts. He inspires, plants. He infuses his strength and purity so that it fills our lives and overflows to those around us. Essentially, the three verses in this third chapter act as a summary of the previous ones. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, this is what you need to remember. So now we are saying to you and to ourselves, hey, this is what we need to remember. God will make you increase and abound in love for everyone. We just have to be willing and able to receive it. The goal for us then is to draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit and to wait, trusting that he will infuse us with his strength and his purity. Once we have that, Quincy will be knee-deep in love.